believe. What do you believe? What are you placing your faith and trust in in regards to why you exist, your purpose in life, and what eternity will be? What do you believe about that? It is my position that we all believe something. We all have faith. The question is, where is your faith attached? What do you have attached to your faith? You might say this morning, I'm an atheist. Well, then you've attached your faith to that, that there is no God, that intellectually you have a certainty that there is no God, and you are placing faith in the fact that there is no God. That's a faith position. Maybe you think that your faith is this. Maybe you would say, you know, I I have a weak faith or I have a struggling faith and I'm not certain. I believe there's a God, but I'm I'm thinking that maybe if I'll just be a good person, then at the end, God will accept me because I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty, pretty good gal. Then you've placed your faith in your works and your own goodness. We all place our faith somewhere. And what's interesting is the Bible never says you have to have a gigantic faith, a huge faith. Matter of fact, Matthew tells us in the Gospels that Jesus said, if you even have faith, the grain of a mustard seed. So it's not about the quantity. It's about what you're placing your faith in and who you're placing your faith in. So who are you placing your faith in today? Maybe you had parents, maybe someone taught you and you learned a certain system or religion and you're placing your faith in that. Maybe it's in your own ability to intellectually discern what truth is. Let's do a little test this morning. And I want to do a true or false test with you. And you're welcome to answer out loud, but just realize if you're wrong, then everybody around you knows that, okay? And each service people do that and they're wrong, but to each his own, okay? So I want to ask you three questions, true or false, and then I'll give you the answers at the end. The first one is this, that the average car on the road, let's say the average car on the road in the last 20 years. So if you, if you're, if you drove a car today here, that's 20 years or less, let's just use that figure. Then, uh, would it be true that that car has more computational power than NASA had in 1969 when they placed the first man on the moon. In other words, the computers that they used to help uh, place a man on the moon, could it be that your car has more computational power than those NASA computers did in 1969? Number two, more people in the United States of America are killed by vending machines than sharks. Okay? Number three, the landmass or the land surface, we'll say that, we'll say the land surface of Russia is larger than Pluto. Now, I grew up being taught that Pluto was a planet, so I'm just going to hang on to that because I had a lot of years of education where I was taught that Pluto was a planet. I recognize in the last 10 years you've been taught differently, but just for the sake of, uh, let's just say, history, I'm going to say that Pluto, does it have less land surface than Russia? So now what are the answers to the questions? Number one, 
Yes, it's true that your car has more computational power than the computers that they used to place a man on the moon in 1969 in NASA. It's amazing, isn't it? It's also true that more people are killed by vending machines in the United States of America than sharks. So what you ought to really do is be afraid of vending machines. That's what, you know, kid, don't let your kid grab those things. Kids do not grab those things and, and yank on them. That's, I'm sure that's how most people die, from vending machine accidents. And then thirdly, actually Russia does have a larger land surface than the former planet Pluto. Let's do one more test. These are three geography questions. I love geography. Uh, you might not, but let's just do it anyway. What state is closest to the continent of Africa? We know that the Atlantic Ocean is in between the United States and, uh, and uh, Africa. What state is closest to Africa? What state would that be? Number two, what is the most western state in the 50 United States, what state is the most western state? And number three, what state is the easternmost state? In other words, what state is the furthest east of any of the states in the 50 states of the United States? Now, the first one, what state do you think is closest to the continent of Africa? If you said Maine, you are correct. I'm real impressed. Nobody said that this time. I mean, usually people are yelling out things. Somebody said Hawaii last hour. I kind of felt sorry for them. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of people would think it's Florida, but actually Florida is almost 1,000 miles further away from Africa than Maine because of the circumference of the way that the earth is shaped. Number two, what is the westernmost state in the United States? What do you think that is? Alaska, very good, Alaska. Alaska is the most western state in the, in the United States of America, of the 50 states. Now, what is the most eastern state? Does anybody know? It's Alaska. And you might be thinking, how is that possible? Well, you see this right here? This is the Aleutian Islands. And see that line right there? That's the international date line. If you're on one side, it's one day. If you're on the other side, it is east begins. Literally, at that line on one side, it's 24 hours different than it is the other side. In those last little bit of islands that you see on the other side of the line, that's part of the Aleutian Islands of Africa. So the western state is the most western state in the United States. The most western state is Alaska and the eastern now, if someone had just naturally asked you, you would have trusted your intellect to know that if somebody said, what's the easternmost state in the United States? I doubt very few of you would have said Alaska. Why? Because you've been well-educated and logically deducting. You know a little bit about geography. That can't be possible. But when we don't have all the information, then we have to recognize that some things, think, some things might be true even though we don't understand it, even though logically in our minds it doesn't compute. And that may be the story for you of the resurrection. I want us to read it today, beginning in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 1. We know at this point that Pilate has sentenced Jesus to death. He's walked the Via Della Rosa. He's been placed upon a cross with nails driven through his hands and his feet. And then the spear has been thrust into his side. And he's been killed. He's been certified uh, dead, so to speak, by the Roman centurions. And so they place his body in the grave after Joseph of Arimathea requested. The Romans take it to the grave 
of Joseph of Arimathea. The women watch. Several of the women watch this transpire. The Jews witness it. And then he is placed in the tomb. And the tomb is sealed by Pilate. And it is given the Roman seal that it is punishable by death if anyone breaks that seal. And so that's what's happened. And now his followers are beginning to disperse. They're very troubled and struggled. And we're going to see this as we read this part of scripture beginning in Luke chapter 24 verse 1 but on the first day of the week at early dawn and the first day of the week uh, on the Jewish calendar was Sunday and so on Sunday at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb but when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus now why is this important it's important for this simple reason because at any point someone could have produced the dead body of Jesus then Christianity is over it's done matter of fact it hasn't even started yet by the way Uh, matter of fact what's amazing is uh, on one day there was no church and then on Easter the church starts and here we are pretty amazing there's no other religion that goes back to a single event that this is when their faith started because of this occurrence so the body's not produced the Jews wanted to find it the Romans wanted to find it even the disciples would have liked to have found it but nobody could find the body because it was not there it had been removed it had left and the Bible says while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These two men are angels. And as they were frightened, they being the women, they bowed their face to the ground. The men said this to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful man, be crucified, and on the third day rise. You might ask this question, why did they not know this? Jesus had said this a couple of times. He had told them. He had prophesied. He had told them. We even had prophecies from the Old Testament. How did they miss this? Well, let's understand what typically people believe. Certainly, this is what the Jews believed, and many people even believed about death, what happens after you die. Some believed this. They believed the moment you died, that was the end of existence. It was like blowing out a candle. It's just over. And so many people believe that. Certainly even some of the Jews believe that. Even some of the Sadducees believe this. Others believed that once you died, your spirit went to dwell in a place called Sheol. Many people believe this. And there were many, uh, many other religions that believed this as well during that time. That once you died, your spirit went to dwell there in kind of a ghost-like form. And you could no longer communicate with earth. Uh, you had no relationship with earth. And that's where you lived in existence for the rest of eternity. But yet there were many Jews, particularly the Pharisees. A large uh, number of the conservative Jews believed this, though. They believed there would be a resurrection, but it would be a, what they call a general resurrection, and it would be corporate. Now, that's very important that you understand that it, they believed that there would be a corporate resurrection. In other words, what would transpire is that the Messiah would come. He would set up rule upon the earth. He would be of the lineage of David. He would be the king. He would reclaim Jerusalem. All the pressures would be thrown out. He would proclaim peace, and peace would be amongst all the land. And his mercy and his grace and his power would spread out 
all over the earth. And all those who believed in Yahweh God would worship and trust and know him. And God would bring peace forevermore. And then he would, there would be a general resurrection where all those who died who were Yahweh believers and followers and righteous men, they would all rise and they would live eternally there in the new Jerusalem in the greater Jerusalem area under the peace of Jehovah God, Yahweh, and the Messiah. That was what they believed. So the thought that one person would resurrect didn't occur to them. You see, there were many who had come and had said that they were the Messiah, and they would try to start a revolution. The Romans would come in and kill the leader, and that'd be the end of it. It'd just go away. That had happened multiple times. And so the disciples must be thinking, how did we miss it? We thought he would be the Messiah, but now he's been killed. So now they're literally hiding, and they're perplexed, and they're in mourning. So that's why they didn't think this, but then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Remember, Judas has has passed at this point. He's dead, and they they go to tell all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with him told these things to the 11 apostles. The Bible then says, but these words seem to them as an idle tale. Remember what the apostles have been taught since they were children. There'll be a general resurrection, and they were perhaps thinking, well, Jesus might die, and if he rises on the third day, then that'd be the general resurrection, but no one else has come back. My parents, my grandparents, those that I know, the priests, none of them have come back. And so they think, you know what, you just think you saw something, you're, you're gossiping, you're making up, you heard something, that, that can't be right. And they don't believe them. But Peter, and we know John from the Gospel of John, they go to the tomb and stooping in, they look in and they see the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what happened. He's trying to put this together with the theology that he's understood, with what he's been taught all his life. The body's gone. And Jesus did say he would return. If he returned, where is he? And what am I supposed to make of this? And maybe that's where you are. What am I supposed to make of this today? Well, as I started the message, you have faith in something. But what do you have your faith in? You see, it's not a matter of creating a faith. Or it's not the absence of faith. It's what you're placing your faith in. Everyone has some type of faith. Gospel, resurrection faith is this. It's not just believing what Jesus taught. It's not just the moral teachings of Jesus. So often I meet people that will say, I believe Jesus was a great guy. He's got a lot of great teachings. But um, I, I don't know about all this resurrection and salvation stuff. But I just, you know, I want my children to hear it too. And I want to hear it. And I just want those good teachings. I'm just trying to be a good person. Can I tell you that's not why Jesus came. That's not what saves you. Just because you believe that Jesus had some great teachings and you go, I believe those teachings are true. I believe those are good principles to live by. That's not resurrection faith. That's not gospel salvation. You see, gospel faith is this. It's believing not just what Jesus taught, but what he's done What he's done. And what has he done? He lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he went to the cross. 
He was crucified, taking our sins upon him because the Bible said there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And because we are unholy, because we are unrighteous, God in his righteousness said there must be a payment for sin. And it's the picture that you owe a billion dollars and you only make $50,000 a year. You can never pay that debt unless a billionaire pays it for you. And that's exactly what Christ did. He paid your debt. He covered you when you transfer your trust from your goodness, your deeds, your actions, your religion to what Christ has done for you. And you attach your faith to him. That's resurrection faith. The gospel faith is transference of whatever it is that you think to what Christ has done. So where have you placed your faith? Well, also, the last point is we see that the gospel causes significant transformation. We see the disciples who are hovering and hiding out in their homes and in places because they're concerned that now that they've killed Jesus, maybe they'll come after them. They're hiding. It was the women who went to the cross. It was the women primarily who went to the tomb. And they're hiding for they're fearful. They're going to see us as part of that rebellion. But something transformed that changed them. What was it? Jesus alive. They saw Jesus and it transformed them from hiding figures to men of great faith, to men who would be willing to die for their faith, which 10 of them will die out of these 11. And the apostle Paul, who made it his mission, felt like his calling from God was to eliminate Christianity and to exterminate Christians. But he so experiences Jesus that his life is completely transformed. Has your life been transformed? Can I tell you the story of four people whose lives have been transformed here today? Matter of fact, two of them were here last night. I have a couple of neighbors who came last night, just neat guys. And my family and I have been praying for them uh, for years, for, for, a long, for a good while. And one of them's name is Brian Seligman. Brian was raised as a Jew. This is his family eh? and his daughters here and his wife, April. And uh, Brian and I were visiting and talked a little bit. He was fairly distant. I knew that he was Jew. He had always had the Hanukkah up uh, during that scene, having a menorah up. And, uh, but he wasn't really a devout Jew, but, you know, he observed the holidays. And then uh, something happened about a year ago, and I reached out to him and asked if he wanted to visit. And he goes, yeah. And I said, Brian, what if you and I start walking every Friday together? And let's just visit. Let's just get up in the morning and just walk and visit. So we started doing that, started sharing the gospel. And he had many questions, a lot of thoughts. And you know, here's the neat thing. God also was working at work. There were people at work that he knew were believers. There was another guy at work that came last night that began to share his faith with Brian. I believe, guys, that when we begin to pray for people, it's not always you. It's never just you. It's always the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God begins to work through others, through actions, through events, and through other people. And that's exactly what started happening in his life. And then just a few months ago, Brian, I remember us walking one day. I said, Brian, are you ready? He goes, I'm ready. And he, he's trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And we meet each Tuesday night uh, along with another guy. This guy's name is Sananda. And uh, Sananda, this is him. And then this is his wife and family. And uh, our kids, play, my daughter plays with their daughter. And they're in class together. And I remember the first time Sananda came to my house, we started talking about faith and uh, I shared with him what I believed, and I said, Sana, what do you believe? He goes, well, 
He goes, I'm kind of a brand of Hinduism. He goes, I believe um, there are a lot of great teachers out there, Jesus being one of them, and they just try to live a life as good as you can, and each time karma kind of takes over, and you just keep coming back till you get it right, and uh, eventually you'll reach that stage of nirvana. And so we talked for a while, and he said, well, that's just, that's what I believe. That's what I've always kind of thought. And so we began to talk, and then he kind of had an occurrence, something that he was struggling with in life, and, and uh, he was neighbors with, with Brian, and and Brian said, why don't, you, why don't you call Ron? So he called me one day. We started going through it. We, I gave him a book to read. And uh, then we started meeting. The three of us started meeting on Tuesdays. Just a few weeks ago, Sonata gave his life to Christ. And guess what? There were other people that were speaking truth into his life as well. Another one that maybe uh, you're aware of, uh, you, many of you probably know, Cody Holly. Uh, Cody and Daryl, uh, the dear friends, great guys, uh, I guess it's been almost, almost two years ago, uh, Cody's mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And here's the thing I'd tell you about Cody. Cody is one of the most amazing young men I've ever known. Cody, since he's been in this student ministry, has always been about bringing people, sharing the gospel, helping younger kids. He's just been the epitome of what Christ would look like, particularly as a teenage boy. And I remember he, he was praying, and his dad and his family were praying that their mom would be healed constantly praying, making that their prayer. But then the end of August, I got the call that LaDonna had passed. And I remember Destin Garner, our our student minister and I, we went over there and we walked in. Uh, Cody gave a big hug to Destin and he goes, she's healed now. She's healed. And as we began to talk, uh, that was not a fake joy. Let me tell you, the hurt and pain is real. It does not diminish the pain. I want you to know that. But as we begin to talk, Cody said, my hope is in the fact of Christ and the resurrection that I'm going to see my mother again. And I'm putting my hope there and what Christ has done. I remember he did a video for us at Advent. He goes, I experience joy because my hope is in Christ. And I know that one day I will see my mother fully healed as she is today. That's the power of the resurrection. And you know what? Cody is just as fervent with his faith as he was before. How can that be? Because of the hope and the power of the resurrection. Now, I mentioned Destin Garner all ago. And by the way, the two men that I shared with you that were here last night with the families, uh, the Cotters, two of, their, two of their family, I checked that they received Christ. And one of the things that we were praying for uh, was praying for Destin's daughter, Sanders. And they were really moved and touched by the story. And it's an amazing story. I mean, I remember... About eight months ago, Destin let us know that uh, they were going to have a daughter. They were going to have a child. And then a few months later, we found out that uh, there are some difficulties and defects, and they didn't know if the child was going to make it. And if, and if Sanders did, there would be significant problems. Uh, we would probably have to have a immediate heart surgery. And so the baby came a few weeks ago. Sanders was born. and She came, and sure enough, uh, those defects were very real. And uh, she's on a ventilator in a tube at Children's Hospital right now. And um, she's awaiting a heart transplant. Uh, but this was amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about Jamie and, and Destin and the realness of their faith. N- number one, as Destin and I were talking, I remember him saying, you know, I'm, I'm praying God will heal her. But I also recognize that means someone else will have to die in order for her to live. So I'm just praying, God, you know the desire of her heart. I am praying for your glory. I am praying your will. And, and I, when we were at um, Medical City, I asked Destin, I said, Destin, 
this is just a week or so ago, I said, what, are, what do you feel like God's doing? What do, you, what do you see happening here? And he said, well, I feel like I've learned some lessons. The first one is grace. I said, what do you mean about that? He said, I recognize that every day I have with my daughter is a day of grace. Every day that I have with my wife is a day of grace. Every day that I am here is a day of grace. Number two, hope. That I am placing my hope in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. My hope is not that just, hey, maybe there'll be a medical discovery, but I'm placing my faith in Christ. And I, I know this. I want her as long as I can on this earth, but I have this hope that if I don't get to develop a relationship with her here, I will in eternity, and that's forever. So I, I believe that hope. And thirdly, <clears throat> the gospel and his glory. It's, he said, you know, it's not a place I would ever want to be but we're there with other parents whose children need a heart transplant, who need a transplant in other five. And we have the opportunity to share the hope that is within us, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to see this experience wasted. That's the picture of resurrection faith. That's what Destin's faith and Jamie's faith is attached to. That's what Cody's faith and Daryl's faith is attached to. That's now what Brian and uh, Sananda's faith are placed in. What about you? What is your faith in? Let me give you a couple of reasons that you can believe that this is true. Number one, the witnesses saw the empty tomb. The tomb was empty. Christianity could have never have started had that not been true. Number two, women first reported this event. You go, that sounds really chauvinistic, and it is. <laughs> but the mindset then was that the testi testimony of women were not valid, even in court of law. So it, let me tell you, matter of fact, in the second century, there was a guy named Celsus who was a philosopher. So this was about 150 years after Christ had died. And Celsus even, even said this. He said, as he looked back, Again, this has been 150 years since Christ died. He goes, he goes, my main reason for believing that Christianity cannot be true and that Christ could not have risen from the dead, and he said this, was because women were the first one to discover the tomb was empty, and we all know women are prone to exaggeration and to wild stories and fables. And on that principle, primarily, I reject the death resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hopefully, you're not that chauvinistic today. And we recognize that most women are probably have more valid testimonies than we do. But let me say this. Here's the point of the fact. If, if you were going to make up a story, a heroic story about a, a movement of following, what you would never do is say, and these women found it first. No, you would say, Peter, John, some historic figure. That's not what happened. You would only say that if it were true. And that's exactly what was stated. And then Jesus appeared to his followers. That's what transformed their lives. They go from hiding to giving testimony of what Jesus has done all the way to dying for their faith. You don't die for life. They were just making up a story. You don't die for it. You may let it go for a while, but then when it comes uh, to being crucified, you'd go, ah, I take that back. And they die a martyr's death. Ten of those 11 do. And number four, the lives that were completely transformed. Their lives were completely transformed. Today, people's lives are still being transformed. That's why I believe in the hope and the resurrection of Scripture. Because Scripture says it. And because lives bear it out. What are you trusting in today?
yourself, your intellect? If it's your intellect, did you get all those questions right? That's pretty easy. If you're just trusting it, you have to at least be willing to doubt your doubts. You may be an atheist, and that's a position. That's a faith position. You are certain as God. That's what you're putting your faith in. You may say, I have doubts. I don't know. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed and you will transfer it to me and what I've done, if you'll believe what I've done for you and put your faith and hope in me and follow me, then my grace will atone. It will cover. Have you done that? I want to challenge you to do that today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for each man and woman, boy and girl that are here this morning. Thank you, God, that while we were still sinners, you've died for us. And Lord, I pray for those who maybe don't believe or wondering, I just don't have enough faith to believe. Lord, I pray that they would recognize it's about transferring the faith that they do have to what you have done through the death, burial, and resurrection. So right now, Lord, I want to invite those who don't know you for you to impress upon their heart to transfer their trust to you. And you can do that by doing this, by saying, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. And I recognize there, there's a holy God. And that if my sin is not covered, if it's not dealt with, then I can never enter into his presence. So, Lord, I transfer my faith, Jesus, to what you have done. To the life that you lived, to the death that you died, to the cross that you bore, to the resurrection that you're alive today, that the grave couldn't hold you, it couldn't keep you, but you are alive today, and you give the hopeless hope. You give those of us, Father, who have lost those who are close to us, those of us who are suffering a hope that this is not the end, but that there is an eternity coming where there is joy unspeakable in the presence of God Almighty, and we enter in only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as we attach and place our faith in you, O Lord. Today we do it, and we commit our lives to you. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Thank you for this wonderful faith that you have created for us. May you draw those who need to know you today to yourself. 